Fantasy focus baseball. Tens of people listen to it all. Carabel is a masterful host. Cockroft singing, we hate it the most. Sim talk and hash browns trivia from the past. It's the fantasy focus baseball podcast. We're going off the rails on this podcast. Are you all right? Oh, yeah. Couldn't be better. That was a good song. Actually, this is the highlight of every fantasy focused baseball show now is Tristan not only putting on the headgear, he's wearing this big uh, 70s afro, but also singing a song. Today's was a little bit longer than most. Anyway, today is Thursday, April 30th, 2020. A little rainy outside. He is Tristan, singer of songs, slayer of myriad fantasy leagues. But the best, Kyle Sapi produces and researches because someone must, but nobody does it better. I'm Eric Carabell. Somebody had a host. They ran out of options. I'd finish all my Netflix Masterful host. Time. Listen to the lyrics. <laughs> uh, on today's fine show, smiling, fantastic ESPN staff writer June Lee joins us to discuss the epic 1989 movie Major League. Uh, it was voted by ESPN writers as one of the top five baseball movies ever. I concur. June, welcome to our little show. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. You know, when when yeah, you sign up to work for ESPN, you think you're going to like the evil empire and that there's going to be, you know, this Disney's a multi-billion dollar company and it's actually just, you know, three guys podcasting, video chatting and making up songs. So, yeah, I think that's the best way to do it. And even when like the pandemic ends, I think he's going to still sing songs. I think it's better this way personally. And we dress up in little outfits, as you can see. Look, you're wearing a bandana on this squad cast. So the least I can do is wear my Philly Fanatic one. So. You know. Yeah, my hair is like starting to get out of control. I get a haircut like every three-ish weeks, and it's just starting to like really turn into a poof at this point. Well, I'm not going to turn my head because I don't want you to see my man bun. Uh, before we get to the movie Major League, which by the way came out before you were born, dude. We're I was negative discuss- six years old. Uh, yeah, that's just ridiculous. I mean, I was already like, I'm not going to say what I was. You were. Let's, let's do the math. You were negative eleven, right? I'm only 29 years old. Um, so Tristan's trivia uh, that Eric will know. Are you going to sing this one too, dude? Oh, let's change up the words with trivia, trivia that June won't know. Because you got to take some guesses too here, June. If you're joining us, you gotta gotta be up for the trivia. Uh, I'm definitely not the best at trivia, but I, I'm going to try my best. All right. Well, good luck to you guys here. We'll answer. Uh, we'll ask the question first, and then we'll get into our movie chat, and then we'll come up with the answer a little bit after that. But the question for today is: Can you name the only two players to win MVP, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove awards, as well as win a World Series ring in a single season? Two players did that: MVP, Silver Slugger, Gold Glove, and they picked up a World Series ring within the single season. I'm guessing Steve Jeltz is not one of them. Um, we'll get to that answer after we talk about the awesome movie Major League, which is one of my favorites. Um, so, June, obviously Major League is an historic movie uh, in a lot of ways, and I want to get your thoughts before we get into the overall here, but um, I just think it's really good. That's the most important thing. Yeah, I think it really holds up as a movie. Uh, the thing that I thought was interesting when I was, wa- I was, wa- I was rewatching it this morning, uh, before we started recording. And the thing that really stood out to me was that 
it doesn't hold up in all the unimportant ways. Like wild thing in 2020, like there's a lot of guys wearing the number 99. Now there's guys wearing glasses. Now there's guys with bigger personalities in baseball. Now he's less of a wild thing in 2020 than he was in 1989, which I think is kind of funny. And then you also, you know, talk about the fact that the owner was, uh, the, the, the owner's goal was to, to lose over the course of the entire season. Of course, that's become something that's uh, been much more normalized over the course of the last like decade in sports. You know, um, so there's a couple different factors here that we, I'm being told to break down the movie. The first one is artistically, was it actually a good movie? Um, was it told well? Does the plot hold up entertainment wise? Um, I think it does hold up well. Um, obviously it's not a true story per se. So it's not like they made mistakes like they do in Field of Dreams where Joe Jackson bats on the wrong side or, uh, you know, uh, what is it? Not eight is enough. The eight man out movie, you know, where like some of it just isn't true. This, could be true, except for the part where the owner is like, well, if attendance goes down, you know, then we can move the team. The thing that bothers me about that, June, is, well, in in September, you already know your attendance. So why do you still want the team to lose in the playoff game or in the one-game playoff? It's already been decided your attendance is up. So that, that whole point doesn't work anymore. That's That's the one thing about the movie to me that is unrealistic. I also love how wishy-washy the timeline is because, like, you get a sense that they're losing and they're not very good. And then just kind of with a flip of a switch, they're suddenly winning again. And you're not really sure how much of a comeback they actually made over the course of the season. Like, how far back in last place were they? Was this a situation where, like, the entire division is kind of mediocre? Is this a situation where there's a favorite at the top of the division? Like, it's very, very unclear in terms of the baseball logistics, like what kind of turnaround this was. Was this like a 2019 Washington Nationals type of season turnaround, or was it even bigger than that? I, th- I think for me, the part of it that I like from the realistic standpoint is it, it's a movie that doesn't take itself very seriously, and it does place it in that time. And I'll admit, I remember watching this in the theater, which was its own crazy story. I saw this movie with my grandmother. 75-year-old grandmother takes me to this movie, and I'll tell you, she kept a straight face the entire time through all of the very colorful language on that. Um, but it, it played off that that joke about the Cleveland Indians were a team that wasn't competitive at the time. They even show the Joe Carter images at the beginning as they're playing burn on. I love that. It kind of you know encapsulated Cleveland sports and Cleveland the Cleveland Indians baseball. And we saw, of course, what happened after that. And the other thing, too, is it's one of those movies that does not have an ending like some of these others that's just wholly unrealistic. And you have to take in the sequel in order to realize that when they were talking about a one-game playoff for a division title, that they didn't ultimately win it all. I like the fact that they do that. Now, I hate that they had to take the sequel in order to tell you that's what happened, but they didn't take it to like the point of a World Series championship, unlike a movie like Rookie of the Year, where you see at the end he holds up the World Series ring. That was just utterly ridiculous to me. Something I think is kind of interesting based off of that, too, is that the you you mentioned the fact that the ending is not that unrealistic. The thing that I personally dislike about most sports movies is how corny the endings are and how corny and predictable they are. But it feels like Major League is one of the few sports movies that actually earns its corny ending. And I think it's through like a combination of the fact that it's a genuinely funny movie that still holds up you know, 20 years later, um, uh, 20, you know, 20, 25 years later, but is also, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's as much as it is a baseball movie, it's also a movie about like the characters in, in the, you know, over the course of the script, which I think is, uh, uh, you know, why it, you know, it holds up as just a, a storytelling uh, thing over the, over the course of time. Yeah, I mean, that's the second thing here. Technically, as a baseball movie, is it believable? I'd say it is. I don't know why 
to slow catchers batting second, second right after Willie Mays Hayes in the batting lineup. That doesn't make any sense. You know but, why. You know why. Why? Because he's sacrificing? I'm watching all these 80, 80s games, and the, the first one that came to mind to me was, uh, uh, I think it was Rich Dower, the Orioles, in one of those games batting second. You always wanted those light-hitting, bunt-capable guys, and I'm watching everybody coming up there and doing the fake bunt with the first to bat. That was just 80s baseball. Well, I mean, it's certainly believe Ricky Vaughn. I mean, Charlie Sheen actually does throw throw hard in real life. He he looked like a pitcher. He looked believable. And I think my favorite character is is the first baseman for the Yankees, Haywood, who's actually Pete Vukovic, who won what the nineteen eighty two Cy Young Award for the Brewers yep. um, as a pitcher, a, a large man. Uh, asking how's your wife and my kid that's a fantastic character right there pete vukovic right he, he fits in perfectly i love that oh yeah when he sneezes he looks like a party favor yeah that's that too i read I re- great characters i read somewhere that sheen took steroids in uh, in order to up his velocity for the movie like i i read that in high school he threw 79 miles per hour as a pitcher and he, he used roids for about six to eight weeks. I think there was a story in ESPN.com from like 2012 about it, about how he used it to, to pump up his, his, uh, his velocity six miles per hour. And it, something that like, and you mentioned just the fact that he looks believable as a, as a pitcher, something that always takes me out of sports movies, especially baseball movies is seeing actors who clearly don't look like they can actually throw a ball. Uh, it just takes so much of the realism out of it. And the fact that there's multiple shots where you can see Sheen throwing the ball in like a convincing way, I feel like goes a huge way towards making this uh, a great baseball movie on top of just, you know, how funny it is and how many, you know, the fact that this movie launched Wesley Snipes' career like that, I, that's hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. I, w- I want to go back, Eric, to your other point there, the, the criticism, since we got to take the negative angle of this too. Um, you're right about the attendance. And in subsequent viewings of this movie, that did bother me a bit that if her goal was to be underneath a certain attendance threshold, as you said, we would know that during the middle of the year. Why would you fight against it? It's already been clinched at that point. So that doesn't, didn't make an awful lot of sense. And yet for some reason, I still embrace the plot. I don't understand why it is. It, I mean, is it, is it just the fact that the individual scenes and the, the one shot baseball jokes captivated us, an, us enough that we could just kind of check our brains at the door? Yeah. I mean, she would have made money with the playoff games, more money than she would have made in months of regular season action. But I think what I like here is there's, there's so many great characters there's so many great lines that we, you know, Joe Boo and it's just and Bob Euchre just a bit outside. There's so many fantastic lines in this movie that we still talk about. I mean, that was 30 years ago, and we're still talking about some of these lines just in normal conversation. And I think it's fantastic. I mean, if you watch a lot of baseball, and I know you do, June. I mean, I think players love this movie too. They they talk about this movie and they try to act like certain players as well. Yeah, I, I think I think something that kind of speaks to just the lasting cultural legacy of this movie too is like you go to a major league baseball game, there's a decent chance you'll see someone wearing a a Ricky Vaughn jersey. Uh ironically, whatever, like there's a decent chance you'll see someone. Um, you know, there's there there really are a ton of memorable characters in this movie in a way that I don't think exists in most sports movies because uh, you know, like I I, I used to think about Pedro Serrano and the voodoo stuff all the time. Like that is, you know, it, it's, you know, it's probably caricature to a degree that maybe might not happen in a movie that's made today. Right. But, uh, you know, it's Dennis Haysbert. You, you know, that he can't hit a curveball. Like all this stuff is so memorable. Um, and you know, the fact that. I, I, it really does stick out as, as, as I think one of the more accurate baseball movies in a funny way too, because I think that this movie really captures the dynamic of a clubhouse and 
the vast range of personalities you have. You know, you have, I, I thought it was really funny in the beginning of the movie when you saw the clash between, um, Serrano's voodoo and, and the older pitchers, you know, Christianity, him wanting to, to pray. And like that felt very authentic to a major league clubhouse, in my opinion. I'll tell you. In, yeah. And, yeah. Go ahead. In, in 89, the, the other thing that struck me with this movie is it was, it was when I was reaching the true depths of my statistical obsession with baseball. And it's the one movie I can recall where I, I genuinely wanted to see a postseason stat sheet. I wanted to see how many RBI, how many home runs Pedro Serrano had ended up with. How many strikeouts did Ricky Vaughn really have? Did he obliterate his ERA early on? And I, I kind of thought of it in fantasy terms. It's for me, this was my number one movie. I, I will admit that my number one baseball movie was Major League just because of, as I described before, didn't take itself seriously, had a lot of funny bits, and was relatively realistic. I think Major League also works, too, as a sports movie, because sports often takes itself so seriously, especially in sports movies, that having a, a laugh about how self-serious baseball is is, is very refreshing for someone uh, who's around the game uh, constantly. And, and I think... Part of my problem, maybe I'm just a little bit weird in this respect, is any movie that that tells a true story, you better get it right. I mean, you better get every part of it right, or I'm going to have a problem. Okay, and I mean, the rookie, the Joe Jackson thing, Field of Dreams, you know, Eight Men Out. It's like there's a lot of things there. Like you got to get it right. So maybe, like my favorite movie, I think is Bad News Bears because that's not a true story, but you love the kids, and Walter Matthew is a perfect. Matthew is a, like a perfect character to lead the team, and the ending goes against what you would think it would. Like Major League, you, you, you know they're going to have to win at that at that point. But in Bad News Bears, you know, like they don't win the game. I, not spoiler alert. I mean, the movie is fifty years old. <laughs> like, I think the way Major League ends is actually believable. Like they don't win the World Series. It's just a one game playoff to get in. Yeah. Willie Mays Hayes, I guess he stole his hundredth base, right? Is that what he did in that ninth inning there? They never really say that for sure. Early in the movie, he's like one for every stolen base on his his gloves, but they never really say it's a hundred steals. Dude, maybe I'm missing something I there. Don't but think they defined it. But yeah, I, I had wondered it myself. I'd love to see if the stat sheet had him with a hundred stolen bases at year's end. I would also I love go to, to see baseball what... reference and see. I wonder... Yeah, like what was the. What the Duke? How many saves did he end up with? You know, like I want to see all these numbers on Baseball Reference. I want to see Willie Mays Hayes' batting line. Yeah, yeah. Over the course of the entire season, like, is he is he just movie Billy Hamilton, or or is he or is he even worse than that? Yeah. <laughs> it's like two fifty with a two ninety on base, and he slugged two seventy. That's It's the eighties. Was he a walker? He shouldn't have been leading off if he wasn't a walker. Watch him have a 290 on base percentage and a 280 batting average. I mean, should he really have been leading off then? <laughs> Lou Brown had a catcher batting second, a slow catcher, I know. at least in the one game playoff. <laughs> oh, no wonder he gets replaced in Major League Two. <sighs> well, I, I think maybe he didn't want to be there. <laughs> We're not going to discuss Major League Two on this show. June, are, are you uh, aware of that movie? And. <laughs> Uh, I did not know it existed to, to, until today, and I also have never watched Bad News Bears. I've only seen the Billy Bob Thorne version on cable. Oh, well, that watch one's it. good too. Yeah. That, that's a good one too. Um, I, I, but the original to me is still a little bit better. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 in, the, in the second one, I mean, he's sleeping with like a player's mother. That, that's funny. Um, I like that. And he does a great job, but Walter Matthau, yeah. fantastic. You got to watch that movie. Um, I think, what else do we need to discuss with this movie? Obviously, timelessness, it holds up. Terrific. Um, June, I'm just curious, what is your overall top five baseball movies? 
Uh, my top five baseball movies. Uh, so, I mean, I was born in 1995, so that is the cultural context for a lot of these. And at least one of these choices is not rational and is, is totally rooted in nostalgia. So I'll start from the bottom. I said number five was Major League, although I'd probably move that up after watching it again today. Um, Angels in the Outfield is number four. I, I know it's not an actually great movie in my opinion, but I have it a lot of – actually, Yeah. <laughs> But I have a lot of nostalgia tied to it, and I think a lot of a lot of baseball fans my age uh, view that movie very fondly. And uh, also, a, a child uh, actor Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in that movie, and he's you know obviously turned into a huge movie star. Yeah. Um, Sugar, uh, I think, is an incredibly underrated baseball movie that I think uh, really captures the struggle that a lot of Latin American players face today. Um, the Natural is a classic, uh, obviously. Uh, Robert Redford is Robert Redford, and he's very Robert Redford in this movie. And then uh, for me, Moneyball is my number one because I think Moneyball, as a, both as a book, uh, as a phenomenon, is play a huge role in me just getting into baseball in the first place. And uh, Brad Pitt puts in a great performance. And um, there's a lot of stars in that movie. One of Phil- Philip Seymour Hoffman's last roles, Chris Pratt is in that movie before he became a huge movie star. Like, uh, and then you know Brad Pitt is Brad Pitt. So, I mean, yeah, Chris Pratt is Scott Hatterberg in that movie. Um, again, the realism factor for me, maybe no true movie can, can, you know, warm my heart, but like, I know some of the stuff in that movie just, just didn't happen. They, they didn't go to Scott Hatterberg's house on New Year's Eve and, and offer him a contract. He has an agent. And, uh, what was the other one? There was something else there in that movie. I'm like, yeah. There, they coincided a couple of the trades that didn't actually happen on the same the day. Giambi. Giambi and Payne, yeah. I think, get traded in the, in the same day with walking into, uh, into the clubhouse. That, yeah. Art Howe is a really nice guy. Art Howe did not like his depiction. No, he did. Uh, and it, cause it wasn't true. Like Art Howe was not fighting with, with, you know, Brad Pitt's character in that they, movie. And really, they couldn't win with that though. I mean, because, yeah, how, right. because of how long the movie came out after the book. I mean, we can get deeper into that movie at a future show, but like, well, that's for next week. They, I, I don't they know. Couldn't, <laughs> they really couldn't win based on the timeline of when the book came out versus when the movie came out. The, the, the level of knowledge in between was pretty tricky. Also, we can't forget. Yeah, I mean, ahead. we we can't we can't forget the fact that this movie also immortalized reliever Ricardo Racon until the end of time. <laughs> no, Chadwick Bradford, come on! And I call him Chadwick Bradford because watching him play down a pro player stadium—that's what they defined him as. Chad Bradford, to everybody else, but Chadwick on on that screen. <laughs> what's uh, what's your favorite quote from Major League that you can say on the air here? We still are a family podcast. I don't know if any families are listening to our podcast, but uh, your favorite quote here? Uh, maybe maybe it's Bob Uecker. Yeah, like? it's it's Bob Uecker. I mean, like for me, that's such an it's such an iconic line, and it's Bob Uecker, and I adore Bob Uecker as just like a baseball fan. Um, and so to to have that kind of person immortalized in this kind of movie, a movie as that that's as great as this, I think is just kind of perfect. Tristan, what do you got? Oh, I hope I can say the line on this, uh, but you know, well, if you if you th- if you have to think about it, then no. No, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I can safely say it. And you know, we didn't get back to that trivia answer, and uh, we will. Christ, I can't find it. To hell with it. <laughs> oh, I get it. <laughs> um, before we get to the trivia answer, we actually have a Twitter question about the movie Major League. This is Brian who says, who would have been the best fantasy asset on Major League's Indians roster? Would it be Willie Mays Hayes for the speed, Serrano for the power, uh, Jake Taylor for position scarcity, or are you chasing those wild saves? I don't know how many saves that Charlie Sheen actually had for that team. Uh, June, are you a fantasy baseball player? And if you are, do you want to admit it? 
I am a fantasy baseball player. I have a league that I've been uh, that I've been going that's been going since high school, um, and uh, I I uh, I've always. I've always been fond of closers who are erratic because it's always exciting a little bit, you know, like, especially when you're a fantasy owner, I think having a little bit of a, of a, a, a little bit of a wild card of a closer is a fun thing to do. And especially if, if they can rack up the strikeouts and the saves, that's going to, you know, get, get you a lot of points disproportionate to a starter. So, uh, I'm going to take a wild thing, honestly. Tristan, I'm going with Haywood. I mean, the first baseman with 40 home runs, 120 outbreaks, nobody on Cleveland's roster. I mean, I guess. I guess Willie Mays Hayes, because if he really stole 100 bases, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot of points. Yeah. That's a lot of, but he also didn't have any power. So oh, that's, and, that's and a, a negative. He did. In the, second, in the sequel, he, he was swinging for power. <laughs> it was more really, than power, but still. An underrated guy would be the third baseman. I mean, Corbin Burnson was a third baseman who I remember on the, in, the, in the movie, you know, hit like 280 with like 25 homers and 90 RBI. That's a fine season back in 1989 for a third baseman. That's a top 100 fantasy option. So I can't remember what was his name in the movie. Roger um, Dorn. Roger Dorn is actually maybe not a guy you want to break bread with, but an underrated fantasy option. How about that? I'll, I'll, it's probably Willie Mays Hayes. Now, granted, the, because it was 89, if we're taking him into today's game, the stolen bases would be just absurd. It would be truly Billy Hamilton-esque, but in a regular role. So that would really matter a lot. Back then, maybe it wouldn't quite, quite have quite so much. From a fantasy angle, I actually think Eddie Harris, the pitcher, would have been quite underrated. Keep in mind that this team is built as com- a complete set of no names. Nobody would have wanted to draft these players, but Harris was effectively the ace. He's picked for the one game playoff. So you have to assume he would have given you 16 to 18 wins just to get there, a respectable ERA. I'm, I'm trying to think of a good comp for nowadays. We, we were talking. Jamie Moyer. He's Jamie, Jamie Moyer with no Moyer. strikeouts. No strikeouts for Eddie Harris. I love Vaseline it. ball. He's going to pitch until he's 47 years old. Squad cast high Which, five. I, I, that's a ridiculous pick. Is Harris okay? Um, anyway, we all love Major League. We made that clear here on the podcast. And uh, before we let June go into far more important things, Tristan, the trivia question: What was it? Uh, let's see if June yeah. can get it. The actual answer to this one. Okay, so let's repeat the question: It's can you name the only two players to win the MVP, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove awards, as well as earn a World Series ring in a single season? There are two players who have done this. Who are they? I know one of them. I you, think. you might. I bet. I feel like I feel like the answer to this has to be before my time because I honestly have I have I have no idea where to begin. This was picked very well for each of you. Each of us. Yes, each of you has a pretty good angle on the two answers for this question. And Eric, I'm going to bet you're going to be able to guess it first with the your first instinct. Well, let me just show you my jersey. I, I do believe that he is correct that Mike Schmidt, his jersey of the day, he did it in 1980. And by the way, he was the World Series MVP. He's the only one of the two who also did that. Who is- Best player of all time, Mike Schmidt. Well, in my time. <laughs> he was good, quite a good player. But am, the I gonna other one- <laughs> am I going to hate myself for not getting this answer? You might. Well, it's not David Ortiz. I'm trying to think, like, what would be your angle for Junior? Like, I don't even know what June's favorite team is. Is it the Red Sox? Yankees? Yeah, I grew up. I grew up a big Red Sox fan. Yeah, I, I will point out that 1980 is the first year you could have done this because of the uh, inception gold, yes. of the, the yes. Silver Slugger Gold Glove. Uh, the other one is a much more modern example. And June, I think you were on the right track. Oh God! Uh, God! 
I'm totally blanking right now. This is just trivia is just not my strength at all. I, I, well, when you say on the right track, I'm gonna, I, I would guess. What is I the think, right track? Yeah, what's the track? You mentioned you mentioned a team, and uh, I'll also point out that Eric's a very big fan of this player. So am I for awesome. for non baseball reasons. Non baseball reasons. Oh yeah. That that honestly that clue made me more confused. What could be a non baseball reason? Oh, oh, Mookie, Mookie bets in 2018 as Tristan pantomimes bowling. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) He's a 300 bowler. I feel really dumb for not getting that. I'm going to be honest. Don't. That's a tough one. Yeah, they're never easy. I would think there'd be like 15 players like that, Tristan. How can there only be two? It's very, it's very difficult to capture the MVP, the Silver Slugger, and the Gold Glove. You need to have the defensive component. And the other thing to keep in mind here is that in the 80s, the MVP and the Silver Slugger weren't always assigned to the appropriate player. Um, and by the way, Cody Bellinger last year was very close to this. Very close. Yeah, the, the gold glove part of the trivia question kind of sent me because I was like, there's so few players who can both win an MVP and a gold glove in the same year, let alone win a World Series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking Griffey, frankly. Um, but anyway, good one. That's a good trivia that question. That was a really good one. All right, I got one of them. And, June, I'm going to give you credit for Mookie. Um, anyway, <laughs> June Lee, you're the best, man. Check out all his fine work. He covers baseball and other things. He wrote a story last week about the Red Sox that they get off easy. And uh, they probably did. And we hope to have June on a future podcast discussing another of his fine movies, but not Angels in the Outfield. June, thank you so much for joining us on the Fantasy Focus Baseball Podcast. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks, June. All right. Great job there by our friend June Lee, who I got to hang out with at the All-Star Game, I guess, in Cleveland in 2019. Uh, it's where I figured out that I have a kid older than him. And also, a uh, really good guy. <laughs> he picked out some appetizers. Who was at that meal? I guess Dave Schoenfeld was at that oh, meal. It was after, that. yeah, it was after the something, uh, probably the home run that derby, was the and, baseball summit, wasn't it? It was the it was, no. Well, also then we talked to him then, but I remember being in Cleveland with him. Um, so let's move on now. Kyle's in, and we're going to talk about your hash browns, your other hash browns for the rest of this show. What do you got, Kyle? Yeah, we've got some good ones. That was good movie talk. Andrew's got more of a real life baseball question. He wants to know your thoughts on Nick Senzel long term in a dynasty format. So something I wrote about in one of these articles the other day was a player who came up, didn't hit, and now is being viewed far differently than he should. And to me, Senzel is in that class as well. He came up last season. Um, numbers were not what we expect. He did have 12 home runs and 14 steals, which is not bad. Uh, and, he, and he was in his age 24 season. And so much of the talk now, Tristan, around him is will he play because they signed a center fielder from Japan. And they have a second baseman now, so Senzel can't play there. I mean, there's just nowhere for him really to play. But my point is, if Senzel hadn't been promoted last season and put up, I guess, a little disappointing number, although the steals and power was there, we view him differently. And I'm trying to remember who the player I was talking about is, and I'll do that while you're speaking. But when you talk about Senzel, you you have to talk about the opportunity here. Mm -hmm. Will he get 400 PAs in 2021? I don't know. He he suffers the double whammy of having disappointed fantasy wise, but also not having the quote plat- path to playing time that we say is uh, a huge trap for fantasy managers. Uh, and I, I, if you look at Senzel's raw totals from last year, in a 
all-time history context, they're a little bit less bothersome. The reason that they're disappointing is that last year, home runs were up so much. So 12 homers, 171 isolated power is a, a significant disappointment. The other thing that kind of bugged me about his year from my standpoint, scouting-wise, is that he's got so much a, a better hit tool than he showed last season. I mean, in the minors, it was a r- routine 300 hitter. He hit for a much higher contact rate. And I, I do question whether he's just really never gotten that extended look from the Reds, that that promise of a specific locked-in role that might help him stay focused. This is a little bit about what Scott Kingery talks about in Philly, that he wants to be locked into one spot and one specific role so he can just focus. I don't know. Maybe that matters to players. I think it's a little bit ridiculous and overstated. But maybe in Senzel's case, a change of scenery or having a committed singular spot for the Reds would help him break through. And I don't want to give up on him just yet knowing that he hasn't had that. I agree. You have him at number 218 overall, and you have him as a top 30 outfitter in your dynasty rankings. And I think that's fair. We shouldn't view him and say, well, he can't be a great player. He can be a great player. Um, It's just we haven't seen it quite yet. Um, Man, it's going to bother me. Who is the player who came up, and I just wrote about him recently, or maybe it's for a future one. I can't remember now. Came up and disappointed? Yeah. I got it. It's it's Kiboom. It's um oh if, man, he was and he was rushed. Carter Kiboom, yeah, right. It's for the Nationals article, which I don't know when it's being posted. But um, Carter Kiboom came up last season and batted like one twenty, mm-hmm. and now people are going to view him as a failure. He was twenty one years old. He's going to be great. Probably their third baseman this year. Obviously, he can't play shortstop because they have one. But um, don't view a player who comes up for fifty at bats and struggles and say he's done. It just doesn't work out that way sometimes. Keeboom was rushed. And by the way, if you're going to take a sample of that size and just write the player off, then you didn't get Mike Trout during his first full year, the huge rookie of the year uh, season that he had. Do you remember how we viewed Trout? Uh, As an awesome player. As a matter of fact, he and Bryce Harper came up on the same day, if I recall. Oh, no, no, no. Trout's... Was it Trout's rookie year was he came up on the same day, or was it Trout's disappointing year they came up on the same day? I'd have to look for sure. I tr- in his age 19 season, Trout hit like 220 with no power, mm-hmm. and he was overwhelmed. And I remember going into 2012, people thought he was nothing special. They really did. They thought he, he just was nothing special at all. They thought he was going to steal bases. I don't think they thought he had a, a lot of power. And then his rookie year was unbelievable. He was 20 years old and he hit 30 homers, stole 50 bases, batted 325. I mean, anyway, don't write off Senzel or Keyboom or a lot of these guys who just come up and struggle right away. You're you're right. Trout's promotion in the year where he broke through the rookie of the year campaign, that was the one where he was called up the same day that Bryce Harper was promoted for his major league debut. But People regarded Trout a lot better entering his debut day in 2011 than they did in 2012. Yeah, you're you're dead on there. Trout was Trout did not win Rookie of the Year. He was a, he he, exalt, he used up his rookie numbers in that 2011. See, you know, he see now he did win Rookie of the Year. I don't understand. He had 135 play appearances. Is it 140? It is one. You have to, it is 130 at bats. It's an antiquated part of the rule, and, and it's absurd. Scott Rowland had exactly 130 at-bats in the year before he was the rookie of the year. Yeah, You know what? There's so many things in baseball that are antiquated. Had they used at-bats instead of plate appearances in some situations? Not just like the voting for these ridiculous awards that just makes no sense sometimes, the Hall of Fame as well. But 
man, some antiquated stuff. Even how they do the salaries. They have a lot to fix in the next bargaining agreement. I don't know if they will, but that's, yeah, Trout did that's rookie of the year. Era. That's kind of scary. So Senzel is not a rookie anymore. Kivum is. Yeah. Um, I wonder if they change, like if they play a 70-game season this year, do they change some of the, the standards there like or not? I mean, like Carter Kivum is not going to bat 130 times this year either. Well, it'd be 130 career at bats. Anyway, I don't know. It, this is this, this. the Kivum thing where, where – we we kind of have to throw away last season is that he only really got that very brief period of time at AAA was rushed to the majors disappointed but after he went back down to the minors 391 on base 458 slugging percentage very respectable numbers that's a, a pretty quick rebound granted in AAA I I'm you on know, board you know who I compared him to you're gonna think it's crazy I do a lot of comps on this show and most of them I think I think work so my comp for Carter Keyboom is um, Justin Turner. Right-handed hitting third baseman, not going to hit 30 home runs, but 20 to 25 home runs, not going to steal bases, should hit around 300. That's I, I don't think the Justin Turner comp is that bad. There's there's meat in that comp. I see where you're going. You're thinking of the, the, the Justin Turner of the past half decade. And, and this is the issue I have with comps entirely. You know, I say it all the time, is if you look at how Justin Turner got to that point, yeah, no, that's different. Right, that's different. right. Like, we need to be clear that that we – I just – I want to tell people that Carter Keboom is not going to win a home run title. He's probably not going to steal 10 bases. So I'm thinking of a right-handed hitting third baseman who should hit for average and 20 home run pop, yeah. but it ain't going to be Troy Gloss either. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm thinking of when I think of Carter Keboom. There's very few comps that fit that for third base. Anyway, um, moving on, That's the next, what's the next question? Did we even answer the question? I think we did. Yeah, you guys sound pro-Senzel and uh... – in a roundabout way there. Speaking of Eric's comps, Baker chimes in. He wants to know who Eric compares to some of the players in Major League. If you're picking players from today's MLB and copying love it. to Major League. Oh, man. I love okay. it. We, we should have done that. We did one. When we had... Right. We did... Um, Willie well, Mertes and Billy Hamilton. I, I mean, it's he's really... Is more like Vince Coleman in a way, like or like a or like a right-handed version of Omar Moreno. I'm not trying to think like You're somebody right. who Vince Coleman. Vince Coleman's a good comp. If it's if it's, I mean, he, he he. Who are the active comparisons? Oh, so an active. There's nobody that steals a lot of bases. I mean, D. Gordon. Yeah, or Billy Hamilton. That's. I mean, he yeah, super so, fast player. I mean, all right. So let's let's do this right. So Jake Taylor, the catcher, the slow catcher. I, I imagine he doesn't have a ton of power. Um, so you could compare him to any number of, you know, boring catchers who bat right-handed, like Jacob Stallings or Austin Romine. You need an older player who's there for kind of like the youth tutelage. Martin Maldonado. Kind of, yeah. The, the guy that I think he's like, and, and maybe they don't hit the same, Brian McCann. I think he's Brian McCann, I, the, a guy from who, the right side. Yeah, right. That 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 McCann is an incredibly slow player, an aging catcher. Dealt with some injuries, didn't really get to hold up. Granted, he's now retired, so not technically active. But I'm going with Maldonado, um, Ricky Vaughn. So now we got to think of a relief pitcher with no command, <laughs> no control. He's a. Uh, this is the thing. Ricky Vaughn was a starter in that movie. He only came in in that last game as a closer because he didn't get the start in that game. Early in the year, he was a reliever. So we need to think of a guy who's got great stuff 
It's kind of Jabba Chamberlain. But Freddie Peralta. Oh. It can't be Jabba Chamberlain. No, it's, it's like, got to be a star. Just, it's like a guy that. who can work in both roles. But like Freddie Peralta threw a no-hitter in this baseball ref sim. May not be in the rotation, but it's a lot of strikeouts. It's a lot of walks. I, that could work. I think he's he's a lot like Kerry Wood's career where you're not sure whether his stuff is better in the short relief or starting. There's probably some injury questions, losing his stuff. I'm trying to think of somebody active. I know. I'm trying to think of who that guy today is. I like your Peralta suggestion. Oh, uh, well, I mean, he's hurt all the time, but Alex Reyes. Yeah, that's Carlos Martinez. Could be Carlos Martinez. Well, the Martinez had some good years as a starter. I'm not sure Ricky Vaughn would have, um, Third base, Roger Dorn. I already mentioned him earlier as an underrated fantasy option. Uh, so third baseman who's not hitting 30 home runs and certainly is not uh, adept defensively, right-handed batter. So it's not enough power to be Josh Donaldson. I got one. Um, what do you got? He's Martin Prado. Oh, he has more power than that. Prado never had 25 home runs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, Prado he- was a – with a 12 home run guy. I mean, we know Roger during that season hit like 25 home runs and knocked in 90. So it's got to be you like, 25 like a, year? Casey McGahee. Remember Casey McGee of the Brewers? Yeah. Not active though. No, not active. You're right. But I'm trying to think of a right-handed hitting third baseman. Gio, no, Gio Rochelle is a good defender. Yeah. You need an aging guy, a guy who was very good in his prime. Maybe not the top MVP candidate. Evan Longoria. Yeah. Lesser defense. Kind of like Evan Longoria, but yeah, the, the defense. <laughs> defense would be a, it would be a big game changer there, but I like my Casey McGee one. Um, let's see who else, uh, moving down the list here. Um, Willie Mays Hayes, we did. Pedro Serrano. Um, so, yeah, Serrano. So an outfielder who has contact issues. Yeah. <laughs> Can't hit a curveball. Can't hit, can't hit curve any ball. off-speed pitch. <laughs> Our, I'm not thinking Serrano's a good defensive player. Could it be Jorge Soler? Jorge Soler. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, it could be Jorge Soler. Volatility in his years, yeah. Would Serrano had 48 home runs, though? How about Marcelo Zuna? Pedro Serrano might have hit 48 home runs with the baseball we had last season. <laughs> he might He might have. He might have. I think Azuna could work. Um, I'm looking at the curveball numbers just to see if there's somebody who just ooh, pops off the page. Domingo Santana. And he's high on the list, number 11, in terms of his numbers against curveballs last season. Yeah, that, that could be a pretty good one. <laughs> okay. Uh, who else we got here? Uh, Eddie Harris. Uh, th- who? Eddie Harris. All right. So a pitcher who can't strike anybody out, a right-hander. So Jamie Moore would have worked, yeah. except he's a lefty. Old guy. Who's an old right-hander who can't get uh, – who can get – who can overcome the lack of a strikeout right Yeah, now? I, I'm trying to I'm, – I'm, I was thinking about this while we were talking to June, trying to come up with a, a good comp for this. Um, I mean, like, I not have, that old, but – I have this ahead. guy on thi- – actually, I think it's on two sim teams, and I, it's inexplicable how he had a, a respectable year. Homer Bailey. Yeah, that, that could that could work. I was thinking Zach Davies, who doesn't strike anybody out. But yeah, Homer Bailey could work too. But Eddie Harris never would have had a no hitter with that stuff. But Homer Bailey had two, didn't he, in the same season? 
I th- yeah, I think that's right. Or was it? In fact, I think I was watching one of them yesterday. Yeah, they did replay one of them the other day. Yep. There, there aren't many old right-handers right now that are still getting it done. He's a little bit Anibal Sanchez-esque, where there was greatness that's, earlier that's not bad. at a downturn, and then all of a sudden he's kind of useful again. We have to assume that Eddie Harris earlier in his career was better than he, than he, than he was in the movie. Um, the Duke could be any closer, really. A lot of strikeouts and um, a lot of saves. Um, I mean, but I, he was mean. So, like, I don't want to say Kirby Yates. Um, yeah, we don't have as many closers who fit this description as we did in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, like a right-handed, like Al Herboski or something. Like, Ray Zell Iglesias. No, he was, Duke's better. He was, wasn't Duke lefty? No, Duke is righty. What's Duke righty? Yeah, yeah, he's definitely a right-hander. Hmm. Yeah, it's been a little while since I've seen the movie. I've watched it like Plus, I, I, you know, he threw out his kids in a uh, yeah. in a uh, in a wiffle ball game. So, well, I don't want to make a comp to somebody who committed a real crime. But let's move on to the next guy, so I can keep my job. So Haywood, the first baseman. Yeah. I mean, that's like a prime. That's how many first basemen are doing that? Like a forty. That's not Freddie Fritz. Got to be a right-handed batter. Yeah. With lots of nose hair. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I hate to say this because I really like him, but Pete Alonso. I, I I mean, yeah, that could be the kind of career he's headed for. Big power numbers and some questions otherwise. And I'm not, yeah, I'm, I kind of ripped Pete Alonso in my next. Uh, he's Jason. You know, he's Jason Giambi's career. I mean, not the most. Oh, so you're assuming that Haywood did some things he shouldn't have done. No, I'm saying that 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 you know, Jason Giambi, even with those questions, had a a pretty darn good career. Um, oh, he did. He did. But he, but non athletic. Not really somebody you'd expect to be a great defender, but just big time power. Got to be a right. It's like, it's got to be like if CJ Crone ever had an MVP season. So it's got to be a right-handed batter to me. So yeah. anyway, that was a lot on that question. <laughs> we don't even know if we have time left for any more. Yeah, we do. Sorry, Kyle. Come on. <laughs> but that was a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun today. We got to fill two shows a week. We might as well have fun doing it. Oh, you know what I'm thinking of with the lefty? I'm thinking of the uh, the lefty closer gets brought in the natural. I'm confusing the two movies. Yeah, who's actually a pitcher in real life, I believe. Maybe that's for the next natural when we do natural the movie. We might be doing more of these shows with June or somebody else talking about movies. By the way, all right, what's uh, what's next? Yeah, the goal is to get a movie show every week. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But it was a lot of fun. Um, let's see here on the question front. Dave notes that Eric's bold prediction for his Braves column was that Enciarte would trend toward twenty nine steals. And then Melanson would trend toward 29 saves. He wants to know which bold call Tristan is most on board with. In a full season, Tristan. Obviously, this is not going to be a full season. But if if this was a 162 or if they're both back next year, and frankly, they both won't be back. So they're not going to do this in 2021. Braves have Christian Pache to play center field next year. He's the next Andrew Jones, power, gold gloves in center field. Acuna is going to be a right fielder like Bryce Harper for the next decade. But for this year – Ender Inciarte is an undervalued stolen base guy who I think could even – well, he probably won't lead off, but he's going to play. And then you and I have been back and forth on Melanson versus Will Smith. So which do you think is more feasible? Um, probably Melanson. I go back and forth between these two. Uh, and the hesitation for Inciarte is just 28 is his career high in the first place. And teams – just don't give players the opportunity to steal this many times. I'm, I'm not a Melanson fan, as you know, but I won't be remotely surprised if the Braves decide that they want to go with him in the ninth. This is the classic Joe Borowski versus Rafael Betancourt, Cleveland Indians bullpen way back in the day. 
you don't have to have your best reliever closing. 29 is probably a little bit too generous. I agree. It should be more like 24, 23. It's but, a good um, question, though. I could they're, – they're It's bold. bold predictions. And, you know, and, and it's the art. They'll be playing for a contract if they play. And uh, so, you know, that – you know, we'll get to that if there's ever a season, but like players that are going to be at the end of their contract in a 50 game sample, they're going all out. They're not, they're not taking days off. They're not like, well, I'm stealing a base every time I get on. Like you could see some of this Mookie Betts, who in my dynasty league baseball sim is batting sixth or seventh for the Dodgers. Like he could, he's playing for a contract. You think he doesn't want to go like 25 homers, 25 steals in a 50-game season, he does. He wants to show off. So we're going to see some crazy small sample size stuff no matter how long this season is. All right, what else we got, Kyle? We've just got one more here. Brad notes that we've had the discussion on Twitter and elsewhere that the minor league season could be canceled, although Jeff Passan denied that it has been decided at this moment. Should that happen, and if we get a 2020 major league season, how much are you bumping up prospects that don't have to deal with playing in the minors for the season? The one problem I have with this, and I do assume that the minor league baseball either will not be played or will be played in a different form, is we can't assume that the Cardinals want to start the clock on Dylan Carlson, just to use him as an example, because they could just have him playing like on their fields at spring training during games, but not be on the active roster. So even if the Cardinals have, like, say they bump up roster size to 30 or 35, that does not presume. I think it's more likely that pitching prospects are going to be promoted than hitting prospects on the right away. So to me, the Padres have a shot to make the wild card game in a 75-game season. I bet Mackenzie Gore is up either for most of the season or all of it. Padres have shown they're not afraid to do that. Phillies with Spencer Howard. Toronto with Nate Pearson is going nuts in the baseball ref sims. I think pitching prospects are far more likely to be on big league rosters than hitting prospects in a shortened season. What's your take? Well, first, we probably should bring up the fact that there's that report out there with, you know, there, there's some optimism about a season happening that sounds like it could be 100 games. I do have some questions about it, and we can, if we hear more about it by this time, I, I'm sure we could dig a little bit deeper into it on Monday. But I think that ties a lot into this minor league discussion. And uh, Todd Zola, our colleague, our friend who does a lot of our projections work at ESPN, I've been talking to him a lot about how we're going to deal with projections and rankings for this prospective season. And his very good point was that we kind of need some basis for a minor league year in some form because of the rehab stints for injured players. A great angle that I hadn't thought of, that if we don't have some sort of concrete structure for how we deal with minor league games or sim games on the side for teams as they're playing major league games, that I'm going to be fading the injury-prone players because I think there will be more questions about the recovery. I don't know. Are minor league teams or minor league systems going to be done concurrently in these major league parks? Will it be in Florida or Arizona? I am not sure. But if there is no minor league system whatsoever, I agree with you on the pitching side. I do think that we're going to see teams be a little bit more aggressive about promoting guys like Gore, as you described. And I think they're going to be much more creative in promoting players, especially with more teams eligible, eligible for the playoffs. I think that there's going to be more opportunity for teams to call up these premium prospects after the point they won't be spending a year a year of service time. I, I know it's a very lengthy and long-winded answer that we could go on for 30 minutes for, but I, I, I kind of need to see how Major League Baseball is going to deal with the service time question. I think that's going to have a big bearing 
tied to this question as to how we approach prospects in fantasy. No, that's all fair. Uh, by the way, underrated quote that I forgot about at the beginning of the movie when uh, the, the lady is like pointing out, here's the roster for this year's Cleveland. And one of the board members says, this guy here is dead. Cross him off then. We use that all the time in our drafts. Like when somebody like drafts a player that's already been taken in a draft and somebody does that and we're like, this guy here is dead. Cross him off then. Um, that's that's an underrated yeah. line from the movie. Um, all right, what else do we have to get to today? All right, so here's something else. By the way, Baseball Tonight, the podcast, still awesome. Buster only reaches out to former players and executives to give you a behind-the-scenes look at the game that you know and love. Make sure to check out his most recent show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, we need to point out that a really good guy, Trey Mancini of the Baltimore Orioles, is probably not going to play this season at all. If there is a season, and Tristan, I don't know if you were aware of this, but we were at his last baseball game in spring training. Our friend Steve Gardner pointed this out, and Brent Hershey was with us as well, Baseball HQ, that um, we were at a spring training game in Sarasota for the Blue Jay. Uh, was it Blue Jay? It was Tampa and Baltimore. Mancini batted second in that game. We had no idea at the time that something was physically wrong with him, seriously wrong. Obviously, cancer, we wish him well. He had the surgery already, and we hope Trey Mancini is back and crushing it for the Orioles in 2021. And, um, and Trey, by the way, has a very remarkably positive outlook that I admire, and we do wish him all the best in this fight. I mean, that's the most important thing for him is to get healthy, and I, I the, the outlook is very, very kind of heartwarming and encouraging to see. It seems positive. He wrote a story that was published somewhere and um, the Players' Tribune, I believe. Yes. And uh, that's where it was. And I just hope for the best. Like, look, we can talk about what's happening. Look, there's some scary stuff happening in the world. And we hope it's getting a little bit better. Maybe the trend is, is going in the right direction right now. And I don't know. Maybe it'll come back in the fall. But for right now, I can't wait to get outside and go see baseball games just like you. Go meet you at a restaurant. Go do normal things again. Hopefully at some point in May, our next show will be in May. Hopefully at some point in May, we get back to a normal society, only if it's safe. But of course, health comes first. And um, anyway, that's all I have to say about that. All right. Um, I guess we're done for today. We'll be back on Monday, which is, uh, what, May 4th. Um, so we hope that you join us there. with you. Oh, boy. Star Wars Day. Can't imagine the intro. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I have not thought ahead to that at all. Nope, nope, not not in the slightest. Nope, 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 nope. I'm not going to get a panic text about what uh, what song we should be singing. Oh, of time. You, no, I don't think that show will be a problem. You don't even like Star Wars, right, Kyle? Didn't you say that on a few, on a previous show? Uh, yeah, I haven't seen them. I Eddie? Got, no, well, I had to do a book report for the football podcast last year about the first one. It's, it's a long a story. <laughs> It's not a, not a book. It's a long story. It was a book report on a movie that I never saw. Or it's a long story. But wait, I, they assign you actual work? Yeah, yeah, as if I don't do enough. It was after Monday Night Football. I had to have a podcast or a book report ready by you know the Tuesday taping, which was nine a.m. So that worked out well. We should also note that the uh, we we did a virtual fantasy football summit this week after the NFL draft. That's what we've been doing all week long. Um, talking about fantasy football players. The fantasy football rankings are posted. Um, there is a podcast posted as well with our colleagues, and um, I'm writing a story or two. And um, anyway, fantasy football, hard to believe that, like, what was I thinking? That uh, fantasy, like, you're going to be 
We might do a fantasy football mock draft before we do a fantasy baseball mock draft this year. Isn't that incredible? And pathetic. It's just, all right, that's that's the world right now. That's the optimism towards the two sports, but I like seeing positive things for baseball. We'll be looking up. All right. Thank you to everybody. Tristan, great job. Kyle, great job. Our pal June Lee, Joe Boo as well. I'm Eric Carroll. Please have an awesome weekend. Hey, bartender, Joe Boo needs a refill.